Man, so good to have you guys here. Welcome to Local Church. And if this is your first time here, man, if you heard about it from a friend or maybe a sign about the grand opening, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you here as well. My name is Brian Haas. I'm the pastor here. And one of the things you're here, you're going to hear us say a lot is, yes, we are excited about you. We are most certainly excited about what God has been doing. But again, the focus has never been on, on the building. If anything, What's been kind of cool to see is the story of our church and even the building itself is, is great insight into what Jesus does for every single one of us. So our church started in the movie theater about nine years ago. Then we moved into what used to be, this used to be an 84 lumber warehouse. And seeing a transformation of just the appearance of it, I hope would speak to your heart that Jesus desires to transform up us as well, that he can change us that he does something in us and through us according to his will. So again, we say grand opening. We're just thrilled to have you guys here. We're thankful to be able to open up all of our kids' spaces and our students' spaces. That's really what this project has been about. But again, make no mistake, it is not a celebrating of walls and carpet and ceilings. It is a celebration of God's faithfulness. When you look back over the years, not just in the life of this church, but in your life as well, I can do the same for me. We look back over the years and we continue to see, look at God show up. Look at the amazing thing that God did. Look at the faithfulness. Look at how he provided. Look at all that God has done. And so we celebrate and we reflect on that. But another phrase you'll hear us say a lot is, God's not done yet. He's not done yet. And I hope you hear that today, that God's not done with you yet. No matter the past, no matter your story, no matter the history, and no matter the change he's even done up until this point, and you can look back on your life and see the faithfulness of God, I'm telling you, he's not done with you yet. So as we go through this next series, this entire month, we're going to be looking at what God desires to do in our lives, what he desires to do through us, and there's a response that that leaves us with. It's a sense of awe. It's a sense of amazement at all that he has done and all that he's going to do. Philippians chapter one, let me read this and we'll pray and jump into our story and passage today. Philippians chapter one, verse six. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Again, God's not done yet. It's not finished with you. So no matter what you walked in with today, no matter what you're looking for today, know that he loves you, he cares about you, and yes, he has a lot that he's already done for you, but he's not done yet. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for what we just sang, that you changed everything. Because of your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection from the grave, you've given us both freedom from sin, you've given us freedom from the grave, but you've also given us life. God, thank you so much for the life change that you have done and are doing and will do. God, would you give us a sense of awe and amazement when we look back and see your faithfulness, when we pay attention to what you're doing around us. We are amazed by you. We love you. We thank you. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. That's our story and passage the rest of the morning. Uh, Luke chapter 5, a couple things you need to know. First of all, this is my favorite story. I absolutely love this story, and if you have been around me enough, you just need to expect to hear this story about once a year, because I absolutely love it. So here's what I would tell you if you've heard this before. Not message-wise, but if you've heard this passage in the story before, 
always look for something new. God's word is alive and active. So he's gonna teach you something new today, but also look for what we need to be reminded of. I find myself, I'll say the same thing to my kids over and over and over and over and over again. It's because they need to be reminded of those things over and over and over and over again. So sometimes we forget and God needs to remind us to look for something new. Also look for what you need to be reminded of. That's the first thing. The other thing you wanna pay attention to is how the story ends. We're gonna go ahead and just do the spoiler alert. Let me show you how the story ends so you know what to look for. Luke chapter five, if you've got a Bible, be there. If you don't have a Bible, I got a bunch of Bibles out in the lobby. So when you grab your t-shirt, grab your Bible, best gift we could give you. Verse 26, the very end of this story, we're told this. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, explaining, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things. That's how the story ends. And I want you to know that because I want you to see what builds up to everyone, every single person that's part of this story, every single one of them was gripped with wonder, was gripped with that sense of awe. They couldn't believe it. They were amazed at what they had not heard about, not somebody else had told them about. Did you catch it? They were gripped with wonder and awe and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen, we have seen amazing things today. See, for people in this story, it was very personal. It wasn't hypothetical. It wasn't something someone else had told them. It wasn't something they had just heard about. It wasn't something they had read about. No, they were part of this story. And when they saw what they saw, it left them absolutely amazed because it was personal. So for many of you, you know this, this won't be a shock to you. Some of you, I'm going to shock you. I absolutely hate fishing. There's nothing about fishing that I like whatsoever. Um, I've told this multiple times. I just can't get it off my chest. So you're just gonna have to hear it again. My kids absolutely love fishing. We have a little pond in our neighborhood. And so like every day this summer, can we go fishing? Can we go fishing? I finally, I don't know if it's safe or not. I finally like, just go by yourselves, right? <laughs> Stay together, but just go. They really wanted me to go. So the beginning of this summer, we always make a list. What do you want to do this summer? And I'm thinking like all these really fun things. And they're like, we want to go fishing. And I'm like, anything else you want to do? <laughs> so I will tell you, for the very first time in my life, the beginning of this summer, I bought my very first fishing pole. I know that sounds, don't clap for that. <laughs> no, that was a waste of money. But I did it because I love my children. I'm trying to be the best father I know how to be. So I was like, I'll get a fishing pole. And I'm just telling you, like, guys, it's, it's just not fun. It's, you sit in the same spot and it's hot and maybe you catch one thing here or there. And I'm the one that always has to like do all the things that you're supposed to do when you catch the fish. Like, it's not fun for me at all. I had a friend that said, Brian, you, you're going fishing. You, no wonder you're like, you're doing it wrong. You're going fishing. You're not catching. And I'm like, same thing. <laughs> he says, no, 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 come with me. And it'll be a little bit different. And I did the nice thing. I was like, sure. Sounds good. Like my kids will love it. So I did this. I went with a friend, we went fishing and I was like, I didn't have super high expectations. It'd be a fun time. We'd be out on the lake or whatever, but my kids were going to be the one that were going to have the absolute time of their life. And I'll tell you something like my life forever changed when we went out on the lake with Captain Clay. Because we went out on the lake with Captain Clay, and I'm telling you, we did not fish. He was, we caught, I mean, we basically caught a fish the size of my middle son. That's Cole right there, that's Captain Clay. And that was being on the water in like three minutes. And I'm like, did that just happen? And I was like, maybe it's just a fluke. Like, you know, the lucky, the first person, what's the, I don't even know the phrase, what is it, early bird catches fish or something like that. 
So we get out there and it wasn't just one. Then we caught another one and another one and another one and another one. It was insane on what we were catching. For the first time in my life, I caught a fish and I was happy about it. I smiled, I was grinning, I couldn't believe it. I was amazed, I was like, this actually happened. I didn't know, and I'm just like, I'm blown away. So I'm asking Captain Clay all these questions and, and learning about all this stuff. And, and I kid you not, when we left, we went fishing for like four hours. Usually we fish for four minutes. And we went for four hours. And you know what I told Captain Clay as I left? I'll be back. That was awesome. That was amazing. I've never experienced anything like that. I was left amazed. Now, here's what's interesting. I was amazed, but I wasn't amazed with other people's stories, right? Like, there's a lot of people, and I can look around, and I'm like, I mean, I see all your fishing stories on Instagram and everything, and I just look like waste of time, <laughs> And I hear my kids talk about how much they love fishing. So, I mean, I've heard the fishing stories. I've seen the fishing pictures. I've, I've grown up hearing about fishing. But it wasn't until I experienced it for myself that it left me amazed. You need to know that when we started this church nine years ago, and then when we started this project over a year ago, there's been a, a kind of a common prayer. There's been a lot of different prayers. One of them is that God would give us, as a church, us, that includes you, a sense of awe, a sense of amazement at him, at who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he continues to do. But here's the thing. You probably won't experience amazement and awe, or as scripture here told us, gripped with wonder if it's not personal to you. You can hear everybody else's story. And you'll be like, ah, oh, that's a good story, good for them. You can read about the stories in scripture. You're like, yeah, they're true, I believe in that. Good for them. My prayer for you today is that this would become personal. That your awe and your amazement would come out of what God has done in your life. And you would see that, you would recognize that, you would reflect on that, and you would look forward to what God is gonna continue to do. So don't just be amazed at what God's doing around you. Most certainly that's part of it. Don't just be amazed at what happens in scripture. Absolutely, that's part of it. But would you allow God to be personally involved in your life? And I would imagine, just like the end of this story, the end of your story will be similar, that you are gripped with great wonder and awe and that you would exclaim while praising God, I have seen God do amazing things in me and with me. So, that's the end of the story. Let's see what led up to it. So beginning of the story is verse 17. Let me talk through it. We'll kind of, I'll show you some things as we get through it. But again, the whole point is pay attention to what leaves these people in awe and amazement. Verse 17, the beginning of the story. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. So again, picture this scene. People were coming from all over the surrounding areas. They all show up to one place. We're gonna find out in a minute. It's like in the middle of a house. 
Jesus is preaching and teaching. He's healing people. So, of course, it draws a crowd. People have heard about Jesus. They want to see him for themselves. They've heard about all that Jesus is doing. They want to experience it for themselves. So all these people show up to this one place where Jesus is at, and we're told that healing power was strongly with Jesus. Let's talk about those two words for a second so you understand. The word power really just points to not just strength, but here it points to the ability to do something specific. So we're told that Jesus had a certain ability. That's what power means. He had the ability to do what? Here we're told the word is healing. Healing is much more broad in this, term, in this sense than what we usually think of. Typically, when we think healing, we immediately go to the physical, right? We think of the physical healings, and Jesus does a lot of those. But the word healing, the Greek was written in Greek, the original word here literally means to restore to a state of wholeness. That's what the word healing means. So we're told that Jesus had the power, he had the ability to bring people whole again. He had the power, he had the ability to restore in people what was broken. That's what Jesus is doing. Again, you're going to see a physical healing here in a second in, in this passage, but the point is that Jesus is restoring people to be whole. He's taking what's broken and he's restoring them. So here's a great question that you should probably have in the front of your hearts and minds as we go through the rest of this story. What needs to be restored in your personal life? If you want this to be personal, be okay getting a little bit personal with the question. What in your life needs to be restored personally? Don't start pointing fingers at the people you know that are sitting around. Man, this person needs to hear this message today. No, this is me and you. This is you there. This is me right here. What needs to be restored in my life? What is broken in my life? What's falling apart in my life? What am I missing in my life? What is lacking in my life? What do you need to be restored? Because as we're going to see, we go to the one who has the ability to restore and to make us whole. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Say crowd with me. Crowd. Good. So they went up to the roof. They took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the, said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Let me talk through just a few of these pieces here. Let me talk through a few of them. So we're told that Jesus had the ability to heal, to make people whole. So that makes sense that other people wanted to come to Jesus and be restored or be made whole. I love these friends of this paralyzed man. They have someone they know that needs to be restored, that has brokenness in their life. And so they do what all good friends should do. We want to help. They know there's nothing they can do. There's absolutely nothing they can do to help their friend. So what do they do? They take him to the one who can. They take their friend, they take this paralyzed man to Jesus because they know that he has the ability to restore and to make, make him whole again. But as they try to get in to see Jesus, what was the word you said? They could not because of the crowd. That's just an important to, to just kind of think about, right? It's a good place to just ponder for a moment that here's a man that needed Jesus, that could not get to Jesus because of the other people that wanted to get to Jesus. And if we're not careful, that's an unintentional byproduct of us at times. 
where we want to be with Jesus and we want to get to Jesus and we desire to be close to Jesus, but we forget about the people around us that still need to get to Jesus. It's not one or the other, it's both. So I think it's just always good for us to be mindful that we don't become the crowd, people that want to see Jesus, but end up unintentionally hindering other people to get to Jesus. We're also told that they tried to get to Jesus. They tried to. Again, New Testament's written in Greek. The Greek word there, we translate this tried. There's also a few other ways you could translate it. The original word there is literally the word for seek, seek. In fact, if you know parts of scripture where you've heard Jesus say, um, seek first the kingdom of God, seek and you will find, it's the same word. That same word that we translate seek in other places is the same word here. So here's the point, is these men were seeking Jesus and they will not stop. They were seeking Jesus, they were pursuing Jesus, they were looking for Jesus, they were trying to get to Jesus and they refused to stop no matter what. No matter if somebody else was in the way, they continue to seek Jesus. Even when that didn't work, do you remember the rest of the story? Fun part of the story. They couldn't get into the house, so what'd they do? They got up to the roof. They started pulling tiles off the roof, continuing to seek Jesus, stopping at nothing to seek Jesus. And then they lower this man on his mat right down in front of the crowd in the middle of the house, right in front of Jesus. That's what seeking Jesus can look like. It's not just, well, I got a few questions. I don't know what to do with them. No, you keep asking. You keep pursuing. You keep reading. You keep listening. And you don't stop. There's a great prayer. I want to read it. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This might be, you're not going to be able to write all this down. So it might be helpful if you want to like take a picture of it. It's from The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier. And a great, great language to be put with this idea of seeking Jesus no matter what and never stopping. He writes this prayer. He says, oh God, I have tasted your goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want you. I love that. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me your glory, I pray, so I may know you indeed. Begin a mercy, a new work of love within me. Give me grace to rise and follow you up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you hear that desire to know God more? Do you hear that pursuit? That I, I, I don't wanna be content with just knowing God this much. I don't wanna be content with just desiring God this much. I wanna desire more. I wanna have more of a longing, more of a longing, more of a hunger, more of a thirst, and I won't stop. Beautiful language, and we see that with these friends. They were seeking Jesus, and they would stop at absolutely nothing. Verse 20, right after this man was lowered right down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus, Jesus' response here is absolutely beautiful. It's short and powerful. And for me, it's the best part of the entire story. Verse 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Notice that when we pursue Jesus, he's found. When we seek after him, he will respond to us. Right? You gotta think this man 
gets lowered through a hole in the roof right in front of him. And the whole crowd had to have been thinking, what is Jesus going to do? Maybe followed by, whose house is this anyway that now has a hole in the roof? And Jesus could have responded to a lot of different things. Whoa, 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 what are you guys doing? Time out. We're full. Guys, aren't you aware of what you're doing? You're interrupting my message. Can you wait a little bit? I'll try to get to you a little bit later. Like there's a lot of responses Jesus could have given. But this was his response. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Let me break that down just a little. We're almost gonna go word for word here for a second. Seeing their faith, your sins are forgiven. We see a lot about the character of Jesus, what Jesus really cares about and, and what he prioritizes. Those first three words, seeing their faith. Seeing, it wasn't just vocalized. It wasn't just verbalized. It wasn't just talked about. Their faith was evident. The same is true for us, should be true of us, that our faith is not just something we talk about. Our faith is not just something that we periodically share. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. No, it's, is it evident? Can you see your faith? Can you see my faith? Jesus saw their faith, so it needs to be evident. It needs to be obvious. Seeing their faith, plural, not just his face, his faith, not just the paralyzed man's faith that's now sitting on his mat in front of his feet. He says, seeing their faith. So this man before him and the men that put the hole in the roof. Here's why I love that so much. That says that my faith can have an impact. That means your faith can have an impact. Our faith begins with us and Jesus. Absolutely. That is a decision you have to make between you and the Lord. But your faith, when it's lived out and it's evident, when you see, when your faith is seen, it impacts other people. Now, we cannot change hearts. We cannot change people. I don't even think we can change people's minds. But our faith can be used by God in amazing and impactful ways. So no, we cannot change hearts and we cannot change people, but we can point them to the one who can. Again, you go back to the story of these friends. These friends that carried a paralyzed man could not do anything to help him, could not change him, could not fix him, could not fill in the blank, but their faith brought them to Jesus. And then Jesus was able to do something about it. So your faith matters between you and the Lord, but between you and the people around you as well. Seeing their faith. It was faith. It was not positive thinking. It was not wishful thinking. It was not a last resort. It was not just being optimistic. It was faith. Believing in Jesus. Having their hope placed in Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. Seeing their faith. And then Jesus' simple and most powerful and significant response. Young man, your sins are forgiven. That shows us the priority of Jesus's healing power, isn't it? Remember we said the power to heal for Jesus, it would be the ability to restore and make us whole. That's what Jesus just did for this man in a sentence. Your sins are forgiven. Understand that our sins, which could be classified as rebelling against God. We talked about that a few weeks ago as we went through Psalms. Anything that we do that is against God is a sin. Our sin separates us from God, literally separates us, and it breaks our relationship with God. So our sin has caused a fractured and broken relationship between us and God. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and what Jesus does on the cross, dying for our sins, 
raising from the grave three days later. It takes those sins away, Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west. So with those sins removed because of his grace and his love and his sacrifice, Jesus now is able to restore our relationship with God because our sins are taken away. That's what Jesus did for this man in a sentence. Young man, you had a broken relationship with God and there's nothing you can do about it, but I'm here and I have the power to restore you. I have the ability to make you whole. I have the ability and the power and the desire to restore your relationship with God because I'm gonna take your sins away and I'm gonna make you whole again. That's Jesus's priority. That's Jesus's focus for all of us is to make us whole, to restore our relationship with God once again. Verse 21, people around are watching this whole thing, right? You have a whole crowd of people watching this play out. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Many didn't believe Jesus was fully God. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking, dangerous. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Understand what Jesus is doing here. It's an interesting dialogue. Well, it's kind of a dialogue. Notice that the Pharisees, religious leaders were thinking these things in their minds and in their hearts. Jesus knows that. So he calls them out on it. He still speaks to our hearts today, just so you know. So in that moment, Jesus is like, guys, like, I understand like you're having a hard time believing this, but which one is gonna be harder? Is it easier or harder to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk, right? Anybody could say your sins are forgiven. That doesn't make it true. Anybody could say stand up and walk, but we're about to see if that's actually true or not. There's actually some evidence that you see immediately. So notice what Jesus is doing here. His focus is still on the spiritual restoration of this man his relationship with God to be restored. That's Jesus's priority and his focus. He's doing a physical healing just to prove the spiritual healing. He's like, I wanna show you once and for all that I am who I say I am, that I am the son of God, that I am Messiah, that I am savior, that I am redeemer, and that I've come here to restore your relationship with God. And for you to believe me, I'm gonna show you that I can do this as well. So please understand the priority of Jesus is restoring our relationship with him. The physical healing that he's about to do is proving what he can do in our hearts. But notice the instructions here. Like, don't pass through these. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. That's a lot to ask of somebody. Especially somebody that's lying at your feet on their mat paralyzed. So let me just mention these real quick. Stand up, something he probably has never done before. Or if he hasn't done, if he did early on, maybe it was an accident in his life. He's not done it in a very long time. Jesus is looking at this man and saying, I'm gonna ask you to do something you cannot do without me. I'm gonna ask you to do something that you've probably never done before. I'm gonna ask you to do something that requires you to depend on me and trust me. That's stand up. And then he says, pick up your mat. That mat is his home. That mat is where he lives. He's saying, you're gonna walk away from your old life and you're gonna begin a new life. And he says, and go home. Go home. Do you know what go home requires? Not just one step, but another step and another step and another step. All of a sudden, it's not just I can stand up, but I can walk. He's asking this man to do the impossible. 
to do something he's never done, to leave all that he knows behind, and to keep doing that every single moment of every single day. What Jesus is asking is a lot. Let's see what happens next. Verse 25, I love this man's faith. And immediately, no questions, no, how exactly are you going to do this? How are you going to pull this off? What if this doesn't work? What if it doesn't last? Is there anything I need to know, like to keep this thing going so that the miracle doesn't wear off in a few weeks? Like, what do I need to know, Jesus? What do I still need to do? Like, how are you? Like, I start thinking of a bunch of questions, and here this man has no questions. He has incredible faith, and immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. He had the immediate faith. We see that everyone's watching. And can I just say this? If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, people are watching you and they're watching me. They want to know if it's real. They want to know. When Jesus looks at you and me and says these similar words, we'll talk about it. Hey, Brian, stand up, pick, in, pick up your mat and go home. People want to know if I'm going to do that. People want to see if what Jesus promises is actually true, and they're watching you to see if it's true and if it's real. Everyone's watching. And then this man, he jumps up. Remember, that's something that he could not do on his own. For him to jump up required complete trust in Jesus. It's him saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, but I believe in you and I have faith in you. There's no way I can do this for any other reason except for you. And if anybody else told me to stand up, I would say no. But Jesus, because it's you, I'm going to jump up. For us, that requires trust. Maybe it's not him telling you to physically stand up, but let me ask this question. What might Jesus be asking you to do that requires you to truly depend on him? That's the stand up. Another way to think of it in regards to awe and amazement is when you fully trust Jesus, you're leaving room and you're leaving space to be amazed. If you can just do the things that you always do, there's nothing amazing about that. Absolutely nothing amazing about what we can just do. We are amazed, we are in awe, we are gripped with great wonder when God shows up and does something we could not do on our own. So what would that be for you? Where do you need to trust him more? Where do you need to rely on him more? Where do you need to depend on him more in a way that there's no other explanation other than just God's awesome and I just got to be part of it? That's when we're truly amazed. What does it look like for you to trust him more? The second part, he picked up his mat. He jumped up, found out he's healed. His legs work now. Now he picks up his mat. Again, that mat would have been representative of his livelihood. Everything that he knew. Each and every day, he would be sitting on that mat asking people to take care of him. Picking up his mat was him rolling up his old life. It's him saying, I don't need this anymore. I'm not bound to this anymore. Wouldn't it have been kind of goofy if this man jumped up, he was healed, said, okay, back to my mat again. Whew, man, I've missed you, Matt. Would have been ridiculous, wouldn't it? So often, though, this is probably what it looks like for, for us at times. We are forgiven. We have been given grace. We have been promised new life. Yet we just hang out and hold on to the old one. And somebody could come up to this paralyzed man, formerly paralyzed, and say, hey, aren't you healed? Sure am. <laughs> Didn't Jesus, like, heal your legs? He sure did. They worked great. Well, then there's confusion, isn't there? The question is, well, 
why are you still on your mat? Oh, that's a great question for us. Hasn't Jesus forgiven you? Yes. Don't you have the grace of Jesus? Yes. Don't you claim to have faith? Yes. So why are you still holding on to all that old stuff? Oh, I'm used to it. I'm not sure I'm ready to let go of it yet. So there's the question. What are you still holding on to? When we trust him, we also trust that he's given us new life. We walk away from the old and we begin to walk into the new. So what are you still holding on to? What do you need to roll up? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to leave behind so you can begin to follow him fully? The man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. It wasn't just healed. It wasn't just my old life is gone and I'm now given new life. It's I have to walk home. We've talked about this before if you've been around. Walking is just one step after another, after another, after another. If I stop taking steps, I stop walking. So then to walk, I have to keep taking steps and we keep taking steps. The idea here is this man, this was not a one and done. It wasn't, a, oh, my legs are healed. Okay, I'm good, I'm gonna stay put. No, I'm gonna keep walking in what Jesus has done. That restoration, that wholeness, that healing that this man experienced, he got to live that out every moment of every day. And the same is true for us. When we experience the grace of God through his son, Jesus, we get to walk that out every single day. Our salvation happened in that moment, but we get to live that out every moment with every breath of our day. We do that while, this man did, we do that while praising God. Man, we never stop moving closer to him. Here's the question. What's your next step? Because so often we get real excited. I bet this man probably didn't just walk home. I bet he ran home. But then the next day, oh, I, I get to keep walking. I, I get to keep taking steps. Man, never get tired of taking next steps in your faith. Let me just throw out a few. These are not all of them. There's a bunch. And I believe God will speak to you on these. Showing up. You showing up today is a great next step because you did something that a lot of people don't find value in. You're like, I want to grow in my relationship with God. I have questions about God. I'm trying to grow in my faith. That's a great next step. Show up, meet some other people around you. Open God's word. We worship him together. Maybe another next step is actually having conversations with other people. Scary part at church. I understand. I know most of you and you're all pretty friendly for the most part. So spend some time. Take that next step. I'm going to start talking with people around me. Take a next step. I'm not just going to read what Brian reads on Sunday. I'm going to take a next step, and Monday morning, I'm going to read on my own. I'm going to start digging into Scripture on my own. That's a great next step. I'm not just going to pray at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm going to take some next steps, and I'm going to develop my prayer life, my conversation, and my dialogue with God. I'm going to take a next step, and I'm going to actually study God's Word with other people. I've never done a Bible study before, but I'm going to take a next step because I want to dig in. I want to understand a little bit more of who God is and, and how I can have a relationship with him. Maybe that next step is for you. you. You're more like those friends that said, I know someone that needs Jesus and I'm going to stop at nothing to get them to Jesus. There's a word for that. A disciple of Jesus that makes other disciples. The Great Commission tells us to do just that. Go out to all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I've taught you, right? Those are disciples that make other disciples. It's people that tell other people about Jesus. It's you walk along, alongside somebody else and you help them navigate their own faith. 
and do that. There's a lot of next steps. That's the point. There's a lot of next steps that every single one of us can take where we continue to move in our relationship with God. And how does it end? Well, how we started. Verse 26. And everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. They didn't just hear about this story from somebody else. They were there. They saw what Jesus did and they saw what he can do. They saw this man's life forever changed and it started with his heart. Jesus changed this man from the inside out. It did not start with his legs. It started with his heart. And all these people got to witness life change. Who this man was before Jesus, then what Jesus did in the moment, and who this man was after meeting Jesus. And we all have that story. I was, then Jesus showed up and I trusted him and I gave him my life and I'll never be the same. We are in awe and we will be amazed when it becomes personal. So this is one of my favorite stories. It's not just because it's a cool story. It's not just because it's a fascinating story. It's because this is the story that made my faith real. Like not just hypothetically real, where it's like, yeah, I have faith, I believe in Jesus. No, this showed me who I am without Jesus. It also showed me what I'm called to do, like every single one of us, to bring people to the feet of Jesus. This story for me is very personal. When I think back to the people that carried me to Jesus, it becomes very personal when I think back to the people I've had the opportunity to bring to Jesus. It's not just a story. It's not just somebody else's story, it's my story. And when it's personal, you will be left in awe and wonder and amazement. But it needs to be personal for you. So here's where I'd want you to begin to pray. Is Jesus personal in your life? Is he personal? Are you in awe of what Jesus has done for you personally? Not just for the world, most people know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, say it with me. I'll help you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So often we think for God so loved the world. No, for God so loved you. For God so loved Brian that he gave Jesus for me so that my relationship could be made whole, that my broken life could be restored. It's personal, and I hope it would be personal with you. Last passage, then we'll pray. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. This paralyzed man, when he was laying on, on the floor at the feet of Jesus, he did nothing to earn that forgiveness. He did nothing to deserve it. He was seeking Jesus and he trusted Jesus and he was amazed by Jesus. I pray that's your story as it is mine. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for how you move and how you work. Thank you that you do not require us 
to, to fix things and to get our lives in order before coming to you. No, you call us, come as you are. Brokenness and all, sin and all, problems and all, troubles and all, stress and worry and anxieties and anger and bitterness and all of it. And we bring all of that as we lay at your feet helpless, unable to, to fix these things in our lives, unable to restore our relationship with you on our own. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you came for me and that it's personal. And you have the power and the ability to take my sins away and to restore my relationship with you, making me whole. May that put me in awe. May that grip me in wonder. And may I be amazed at what I have personally seen you do in my life. And I pray that would be the story of everyone here. That we would see all that you've done for us already. And we would be amazed at you. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we fold up and roll up our old lives and begin the new life that you've given us. And we continue to take steps each and every day in wonder and awe and amazement of you. In Jesus' name, amen.